somebody called me brave for pushing my wheelchair, like physically pushing my manual chair. And she had said in the context, she was like, oh, you're, are you strong enough to push that chair on your own? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, oh, you're so brave. And I thought about it. And I, I didn't say anything mean to her. I just said, thank you so much. But I thought about it more and I said, you know, I'm not brave for living the only life I've ever, ever known. Right. So I don't know anything different. I was born this way. There's no, like literally from the day I was born to right now, I, I know no other way than being a little bit slower. This is the freestyle way. Uh, Steph, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to be talking to you. Uh, we were just kind of chatting off air about when we last saw each other. And that was in 2019 when I came to your gym to host a seminar. And I just want to say thank you for, um, yeah, allowing me to be able to share in your space uh, at that time. It was a very interesting time for me because I was in in transition, kind of moving away from the more movement-driven uh, coaching to the more uh, mentally and emotionally-driven coaching. And you were one of the first to host uh, that that workshop. So thank you. It's amazing uh, to have you and to be able to talk to you. How are you doing? Well, thank you so much. I'm doing so good. And I don't think you even realize how important that seminar was for me personally. You know, obviously, we've known each other for many years before the seminar. And I feel very grateful to have like a genuine friendship. Um, and I think at that point in our life, and you know, we didn't even know it cu coming up even a couple months later, our whole world would you know, basically be turned upside down. But at that time, it was I was struggling. I was struggling emotionally. I was struggling mentally. I was struggling as a business owner. I, I didn't feel like it was kind of like imposter syndrome. So I feel like we have always had this kind of connection where I don't have to have any filters with you. And I can just say, you know, hey, my life is falling apart and <laughs> and I need and I need help. And I just remember feeling so like rejuvenated um, when we said goodbye the last time. And you basically just telling me like, we don't know where life's going to take us right now, but it's going to be okay. And, you know, that was really special to me. Mm, that's amazing. You know, it, that brings back uh, some memories from when we first met. I remember when we met at the CrossFit Games. It was just in passing, and it was very quickly. It was in the like vendor village area, and I had my posse. You had your posse, and we were just kind of like we saw each other yeah. and we recognized <laughs> each other, <laughs> and we we kind of uh, just uh, came up to each other and said said hello. And I just remember in that moment, you you uh, shook my hand and you pulled me in, and and you gave me a hug, and I and I I just remember that moment. I was like, wow. Uh, that was that was a powerful hug, and yeah. there was something that happened in that moment where uh, you were already speaking and being very vocal about um, how driven you are and how you uh, overcome uh, and continue to overcome those things that have been uh, kind of uh, presented to you through your life. And I realized that in in that very moment, I realized, oh, you're none of those things. You're none of those challenges. You're, yeah. you're not the wheelchair. You're not the CP. You're not. You're not any of those things. Uh, 
And I don't know, for me, that was a, 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 an awakening moment. And I don't know if you recall that moment and, and what that was like for you, but uh, it truly impacted me. So yeah, thank you for that. That was You're very welcome. special. Well, thank you for the hug, because I love hugs. Um, but yeah, I, I do remember that. And I remember um, being in Vendor Village, for those that you know don't know the CrossFit Games, it's a huge event. It's basically like the functional fitness Super Bowl. And I think at the time, social media was really at its, like, peak, where, like, you know, it was kind of like this mysterious thing. Like, if you saw somebody in person that you followed, it was like this fangirl, fanboy kind of thing. And when you realize that the person behind the screen is a real person with genuine intent, it was a connection that I knew, like, it wasn't just going to go away. And now, at the time... And your time is still very valuable. But at the time, people wanted pieces of you, right? People knew you as Carl Paoli. Carl Paoli. Like, they they weren't necessarily um, looking at you as just Carl. And so, like, people looked at you kind of on, like, a pedestal. And so when, you know, I got to meet you and realized that we could become actual friends, it was like, oh, man, he's so much more than just a guy that does handstands or such more than just a guy that teaches you how to flip upside down and I think that that was uh that was a good moment for me in the sense of realizing that like just because I had a physical disability didn't make me any less valuable Mm, yeah that's that's amazing and I'm 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 glad that was the case and I'm glad we've been able to continue to uh stay connected in different ways and um, my curiosity today in in our conversation lies around this idea of staying driven, which uh, is is your uh, motto. It's your tagline. It's uh, your way of potentially anchoring all of your thinking. And I wanted to start there and just ask you, what what does that mean to you? What does it mean to be driven? I feel like life has just tried to knock me down so many times. And at a certain point, you either have this idea of saying, okay, I either give up or I need to move forward. And there have been a couple of times in my adult life where I have wanted to give up, right? And I, and it's, it's very serious. I don't take it lightly. I mean, um, you know, having the thoughts of would life be better without you here? Would people be happier without you here? They're very heavy but they can be very real. And so throughout my life, I've been through different stages, whether it's recognizing that I had cerebral palsy, but being around so many able-bodied people that I quote unquote wanted to make myself as normal as possible and trying to fit in that way to then going away to college and figuring out who I was as an adult and what that meant to me finding love, finding that person in my life that was going to accept me as I am. And for a long time, I thought that was never going to happen. You know, I met my husband when I was 25 years old, and I literally watched people fall in love, you know, date people. And I'm sitting here going like, is that ever going to happen for me? Right? Um, Whether it's going, like I said, going through school and finding love and doing all those life things, to realizing like 
it, would it just be better if I wasn't here? Would it just be easier for people around me? Um, would it just be easier for my, my life in general? But at the end of the day, you have to make a decision, right? And you either can fight through the really dark times and you don't have to do that fight alone, right? And that's something that I learned very early on was that I don't have to be embarrassed for saying like, hey, I'm not okay and I need help, right? But that is my drive. My drive is to know that I am always helping the next generation. I'm always creating a better perception of what it means to live with a physical disability, what it means to live as a survivor of cancer, what it means to live as somebody that uses a wheelchair, what it is to live as a female, right? And, and moving on to that next generation and giving what I know to the next generation is my driven purpose, right? And so for those that don't know, you know, I was the world's first female uh, level two CrossFit trainer in the entire world, right? So like I wasn't, there was no blueprint of what I was doing. Nobody before me, I could be like, hey, Pearl, how do you do cleans? How do you do box jumps? Like uh, there was, there was no one that, you know, I could go to. So kind of creating these paths all the time. Uh, in one hand, it can seem exhausting and daunting because you're like, why am I always just like the first person doing this stuff? But at the end of the day, it's such a privilege because I'm making it easier for the next group of people. I'm making it easier for the little girls and the little boys that didn't realize that those things were possible, you know? So I think uh -huh. overall life experience is my continued reason for drive. Uh -huh. Yeah. Do, do you have uh, a first memory? I mean, in your memoir, you share uh, a lot of your stories, which, by the way, is is really well written. And uh, you definitely uh, are are great with words and you can express and convey emotions in a very clear manner. So anybody listening right now, I, I highly recommend uh, you, you get and read uh, Steph's uh, memoir. But you, you, you talk about a lot of the challenges that you went through um, with, an, with an undertone of, uh, of well-being, which is something that I, I really like because you, you are always able to kind of fall back on this sense, uh, on this like feeling of um, this is special. This is something that I really like. I enjoy. I feel inspired. Yeah. And. Uh, I'm wondering if you have a, a first memory of realizing that um, you are an adaptive person, meaning you have a disability and mm -hmm. it's going to require you to pursue life slightly different than the majority of the people maybe in your immediate circle. Do you have a first memory of that? And if 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 so, what was that memory and, and how did you experience it and process it? It's really interesting because um, I was born with a, or I was born with a twin brother, right? So and my twin brother is completely able-bodied and my older brother is only nine and a half months older than us. So I literally grew up in a household that was, hey, you're, you're definitely doing things differently, but 
you're still going to do everything that anyone else does. I think I clearly had an understanding of cerebral palsy by the time I was three. And so um, I don't necessarily remember the moment where I was like, ah, I'm different. Um, I do remember, though, I was actually just telling Ty this story yesterday. I remember being three years old and somebody asked my mom like above me. So I was in a stroller. Someone asked my mom above me, hey, what's wrong with her? And instead of my mom responding, I looked at the woman and I said, nothing's wrong with me. What's wrong with you? And like, it wasn't meant to be rude. Obviously, I was three or four years old. My mom has always said that like, from that moment on, she knew like I was going to be fine. It had nothing to do with my physical differences of moving differently. As long as I was able to advocate for myself, stand up for myself and effectively communicate, hey, like talk to me. Like you don't need you don't need to talk to her. I I can answer the questions just fine. I knew from a very early age that yes, I was different, but I wanted to live life as much as anybody else was around me. Yeah, it, it, the one thing that stands out is that, uh, yeah, you may be different, but there's nothing wrong with you. No, and there's that, and there's a there's yeah, there's a big difference a per, there. That's still a perception, you know. That's still it happens to this day. <laughs> I mean, people make the silliest of assumptions. Um, my husband is able-bodied. Somebody made an assumption that he and I were on a daddy-daughter date yesterday. <laughs> you know, I'm like... I, I, saw but... you, I saw you posted that. <laughs> right, but like it's, you know, and people don't mean... People don't mean for their uh, assumptions, I guess, or presumptions to be rude or come off as rude. But just because you use an accessibility device or have to move differently from point A to point B doesn't mean that it's like impossible for somebody to either understand you, communicate, or even be able to build a life with somebody else, right? And so I think from a very early age, I knew that I was going to be up against the world in a sense, but um, I don't know. I've just always had this this umph to kind of be like, screw it, I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, you, you make that very clear in your book and you've made that very clear uh, since I've known you and through our relationship. You, it, It's something that always kind of comes back and it's something that I appreciate because there is a great awareness on how you see the world. And that great awareness uh, has been also influenced by your ability to move. And uh, CP, of course, affects your uh, ability to move, but you've been able to navigate it in in remarkable ways. And I'm I'm curious when when you think about physical movement, how does that affect how you see the world? And what is it that you're seeing in the world right now that is, for one, maybe uh, puts resistance on you, and two, maybe uh, evokes um, a feeling of inspiration and wanting to advocate or change or transform. For example, you you talked about your experience. I believe you were flying to potentially Wadapalooza, and there was an experience there with your wheelchair in the plane. And oh, um, yeah, yeah, I think you know what I'm referring to, um, where y- you felt 
uh, compelled afterwards to make sure to make a post about it and and share your experience so that this wouldn't happen to anybody else. Um, before we even get into that story, I'm just curious in general, when you see the world from a movement perspective, uh, what is it that you see that uh, an able-bodied person potentially just takes for granted or, or neglects and that maybe we should become aware of? So first and foremost, I will say that CP has given me the gift of empathy and this innate sense of it's okay if life moves a little bit slower. I'm, and I don't know if that's mainly just because as somebody with a physical disability, like you have no choice. You have no choice other than to move a little bit slower. You know, if I said to you, hey, Carl, we're going to um, have a meeting at 1030. If you wanted to wake up at 1020 and hop on your computer and we were going to meet 10 minutes later, I'm sure you could get yourself out of bed, get dressed, even make a cup of coffee and sit down in that 10 minutes, right? In reality, for me, I cannot just wake up, get dressed, get out of bed, go to the bathroom. Like, I can't do any of that in an actual fast manner, <laughs> right? So I think cerebral palsy has also, and having a, a life with CP has given me the ability to learn how important time management is, right? And understand that if it takes me 10 minutes to put my shoes on, 20 minutes to put my clothes on, I at least need 40 minutes to get myself fully ready for the morning, right? So if my class starts at 6 a.m., I got to get myself up at about 5 a.m., 5.15 the latest to make sure that I'm on time and I'm ready to roll. I don't think that you can say that people take it for granted because then that would mean that there is a there is a feeling of there's a feeling of like feeling bad or or sympathy, right? Because it's not something you take for granted. It's just not something that you have to experience, right? And so being grateful for your ability to move faster in daily life is fine. Like you can you can be grateful for that, but I'm also grateful that I have the ability to physically get myself out of bed, sit up, you know, go to the restroom, do everything I need to do independently, but I just need to have better time management. So I think this idea of do people take things for granted? Sure. I think we all do. I think even myself, like I might even take for granted that I have the ability to speak as well as I do. Not everybody has that ability to do so, but we don't think about those things on a daily basis. So I don't think you have to think that you, you take your movement for granted um, because there's nothing to be sorry for. But I think you can also think, hey, I'm super grateful for how well I'm able to move from point A to point B. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? So I think that's just something that, again, I, I've in the last few weeks, I've had to remind people in many different ways. Like somebody called me brave for pushing my wheelchair, like physically pushing my manual chair. And she had said in the context, she was like, oh, you're are you strong enough to push that chair on your own? 
And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, oh, you're so brave. And I thought about it. I, d I didn't say anything mean to her. I just said, thank you so much. But I thought about it more and I said, you know, I'm not brave for living the only life I've ever, ever known. Right. So I don't know anything different. I was born this way. There's no, like literally from the day I was born to right now, I, I know no other way than being a little bit slower. But at the end of the day, that's what's normal to me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think when you're born having to adapt from day one, you're born with this sense of it's okay to be a little bit slower and maybe have a little bit more empathy for when somebody is either moving slowly or struggling with something on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Long answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's a great answer. And, and a couple of things have come up. And, and if I just work backwards, when, when that woman, for example, said you're brave, most likely she was referring to, uh, this is where you have to assume positive intent, of course, but most likely sh she was seeing something that she doesn't usually see. You don't usually see people pushing their wheelchair, right? It's like, yeah. when you think about it that way, you're like, wait, you're in a wheelchair, but you're pushing your own wheelchair? Right. What is, ha it's hard to compute something, like what's happening here? And right. you, 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 you just assume um, that, oh, wow, that person is going through something that now they're yeah. having to express themselves in a way that looks like peak performance, and that is brave. Now, maybe brave is not the right term. Maybe it's courageous, and courageous being that it comes from the core or from the heart. Mm -hmm. And and that's something that I do believe uh, you are. You're, you're a courageous individual because uh, you do everything with tremendous passion you do it from from the heart and i and i love uh that you uh brought up this idea of time management and slowing things down because um i have a curiosity which is kind of shooting us forward a little bit in our conversation but i'm just going to ask you now if you have less time how do you manage to get more done than the average individual <laughs> because you're very productive what <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think that it's, I have less time. Um, I think you and I have talked about this uh, quite a, a long time ago. You had written your freestyle book, which if you don't have it, you should get it. Um, you'd written your freestyle connection book. And, and I was at that point um, probably seven years ago, because this was before I had gotten sick, I had told you that my ultimate goal was to write a book. I've been wanting to write a book since I was eight, you know, nine years old. And you gave me some pointers and you said, listen, writing a book is not easy. Writing a book is going to take some time and it's going to take a lot of your energy and your effort if you want to be as personal as you say that you want to be. And sometimes people want to, um, people think that you will say the things you want them to hear. Right. But what was good for me to hear was this isn't going to be easy. Right. And it took me three years after that moment to really dive into what I wanted the book to be about. And so I think, you know, when you have this idea of time, everybody has the same 24 hours in a day. Um, yes, things are going to still take me a little bit more time physically. But if I want to get them done, just like anybody else, I create this either to-do list or, hey, 
Like I knew today I was really excited that we were going to sit down and we were going to chat. So I moved everything in my schedule around because this was important to me, right? And so I think it's a level of importance. If it's not that important to you, then you're going to put it on the back burner, right? But it, if it is important to you and it is time sensitive, you are going to find a way to make it work. <laughs> um, Steph, I just want to do a quick little, uh, yeah, side here and just say, uh, as I started recording this podcast and, and started interviewing people again, and I kind of just re revamped this whole experience, uh, this moment that I'm currently experienced with you, like this experience that I'm currently having with you is exactly what I was craving, which is, um, being able to interact with somebody who could allow me and help me to think a little bit different. And I just want to say thank you because you're you're doing that right now for me. And it, it's it's always happened every time we've, we've hung out. And that's one of the reasons I selfishly wanted to talk to you. But um, uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you for being able to bring um, perspective to the way that I'm currently thinking and seeing the world and uh, furthermore, yep. uh, projecting what I believe to be true onto you in order to get, you know, some 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 information uh, that is interesting from you. So it, it, I just want to say thank you. We could, oh. we could end it now and I'll be like, OK, let's, <laughs> we're, we're good. I got no, what I, I needed. <laughs> I think, again, our relationship is special because we don't sugarcoat things, right? Like I can 100 percent. Um, own up to the fact that the last time that we saw, I was a blubbery mess and I was crying and I was upset and I was doubtful of myself. And without judgment, you looked at me and you said, right now it's really hard. And I 100% get that. But if you want to make a difference, you have to create the change. That's exactly what you said to me. And I was like, hmm, you know, like that's that's a good piece of advice to take away and granted none of us knew that the pandemic was happening or going to happen but I did exactly that right was like it didn't happen overnight and I struggled as a as a box owner I struggled as a business owner but at the end of the day like I took a deep breath and like had to realize like you might have to let something go in order to create something new Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, interesting enough, uh, you you remind me that you were technically a mess. You were crying and we did talk for a long period of time. Uh, but my memory of that is not one of seeing you as a mess. I just I just uh, remember that as something that was like, oh, we had a very positive encounter. And that was, <laughs> I don't know, that was really good. Yes. And then you remember remember the picture that you posted the other day reminded me that um, when when you closed up the gym and we left, uh, you were showing me your car and we were excited about, you know, the design and yeah. and all these things. And I just remember that being uh, a moment that was uh, unique just because we were meeting at your gym. I'd never been there before. And we had I had yeah. just done this the seminar and, and you had uh, helped me go through the day. Um, but in, in no moment did I even have like a, a sense or feeling that you were a mess. You know what I mean? Like you may have been in a yeah. dip, but I, I have no recollection of you being a mess of me thinking, oh, Steph is really in a hole right now. <laughs> well, and that's perception too, right? Is the way that we view ourselves. I wish so badly sometimes 
mostly all the time, that I could see myself the way my husband views me because I'm so hard on myself, especially after going through cancer because I want so badly to be in that body that I was in before I was sick. And then he'll often remind me like, your body wasn't healthy in that body before you were sick. You know, and then I have to remind myself like, just because I look a little different or my body's changed doesn't mean that I'm not necessarily healthy right now. Like I'm probably the healthiest I've ever been and getting a lot stronger. But I think, again, with this thing of social media, and I love social media for how powerful that it can be for connection, right? Whether it be a relationship like I have with you and we've met kind of through social media or the relationship that a lot of people follow right now where I'm friendly with a little girl. She's five years old and she has CP and I mentor her parents because I met them through social media and they're incredible humans. But this pressure to be, you know, Steph the hammer, right? And to be this this face and this voice of the adaptive community as a whole now, it still feels like pressure, right? And when a company doesn't want to work with you because your numbers aren't high enough or your engagement isn't high enough, it makes you feel like, shit, what am I doing wrong that like the next person literally is doing the same thing? Am I just irrelevant now, right? And I think that that's kind of a dark hole where unfortunately we live in this world of so much social media in front of your face that when it doesn't pan out like it used to 10, 12 years ago, it's like, well, what now, you know? <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. You and I kind of came up at the at the same time as social media, and it was one of the catalysts that allowed us to just reach a wide audience uh, relatively quickly. And, um, and to see how things have changed when it comes to social media and how it works, it, it does feel challenging sometimes uh, to have a, a healthy relationship with it because mm -hmm. uh, there's no longer the same level of access in terms of the uh, magnitude that maybe existed before. But yeah. the, the impact, I think, is still there. And being able to decouple that, I think, is challenging. And especially it's challenging if um, you're trying to work with partners or collaborators and they're judging you on your, you know, uh, vanity metrics uh, yeah. and not really seeing the conversations that are happening behind the scenes where the true right. impact is happening and and the change is, is taking place. So, yeah, I hear you uh, loud and clear. And this leads me to uh, your your expression as an athlete. When did you first see yourself as an athlete and what was that experience and how did it take you to this point where now you're not only an athlete, but you're a coach and yeah. uh, helping a lot of people. My journey as an athlete was a very defining moment in my whole life. Um, I was never good at sports. I was never, you know, I could never keep up necessarily. Like I couldn't join a team or like be part of like a, the high school teams or whatever. But um, I was a sophomore in college and I had started noticing that my body was changing, uh, not in the best way. I wasn't really taking care of myself and 
Uh, I had started noticing pictures of myself that I didn't like. And so I ended up meeting with a trainer and I worked with him for like six to eight months. And in that time that I worked with him, he had asked me for a tangible goal. And I remember him saying to me, "What? what's your goal? And I said, I want to lose 20 pounds. And he was like, no. He said, that will happen. He said, I want you to give me an actual goal. And I remember a good friend of mine was a completely able-bodied runner and he went to go to a race. He's one of the fastest runners in all of South Florida. So I just went to support him. He would race like every weekend, 5Ks, 10Ks, whatever. And I went to this one race and I saw a whole bunch of empty wheelchairs at the front line of this race. And I was like, man, that's weird. Like, where where are the people in those chairs? Like, where'd they go, right? And then all of a sudden you see these racers sitting in their hand cycles rather than their wheelchairs getting ready to get to the start line and race. And my eyes just got like as big as dinner plates. And I was like, that is so cool. And I remember after that race, I met with the people at that table for the company. It was called Achilles International. And they were like, hey, you interested in racing? And I was like, I don't know. I've never heard of it before. And he said, well, here you go. Here's an empty bike. And he got me to get on this bike. And I went around the parking lot. And he was like, hey, you're super strong. Like, you're joining our team. He didn't give me, <laughs> he didn't give me like any uh, chance to say no. He was like, you're doing this. And I said, okay, like whatever. And that was in February. Well, December of the same year, he said to me, uh, in February, we met and he said to me, Steph, you're going to do a marathon. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, 26.2 miles. You'll be fine. And uh, you're going to do it in December. And I'll never forget it. It was December 4th of 2011. I crossed the finish line at uh, 4 hours, 34 minutes, and 16 seconds. It was the longest trip of my life. And I just remember looking down at my hands. And they were just so ripped up and like broken. But I looked up at the clock and I was like, I can do better. Right. And that's when that moment was for me where I was like, I freaking love this stuff. Like, I want to just do better. And that's the moment where I was like, I want to find something for me. And that was like the spark of me creating this athlete inside of me. It wasn't until May 3rd of 2012 that I rolled into my first CrossFit gym and that was literally like the rest was history. I just had fallen in love with the community. And at that time, Carl, you know, like community of CrossFit was so different um, back in the day. And I'm not saying that it isn't as great now, but the sense of community was just so cool. You could walk into any gym in the entire world and, you know, you could drop in, you do a workout, get a t-shirt and you'd be so proud of that t-shirt and you'd rock it anywhere you went, and nobody gave a shit that I had CP. All they cared about was, hey, you good? Let's let's go, right? And, and that was what is so special to me, and it still is. You know, I'm not as involved necessarily in the CrossFit um, as a business culture anymore, but that will always be the foundation of 
my fitness journey and falling in love with it because it gave me such a sense of purpose. It gave me such a sense of creation for myself and teaching people like yourself how to work with somebody like me was like flipping the script, right? Where then I learned, like, I was like, oh my gosh, like I could be the teacher to the teacher. Like, how cool is that? Right. And that was my, that was my moment of saying like this, this is meant for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's something I was going to bring up earlier is that in working with you, I learned so much more about my craft than I ever would have if I had just continued to work with the limited population that is the able body. Uh, And uh, yeah, you, you are definitely the teacher of the teachers. And the cool thing is that you are a teacher that is um, also in the process of development, which everybody is. But I think your your progress is uh, you take you take big leaps. And one of the reasons, and this is just my opinion, is because you've had to create signature styles, signature ways of doing things. For example, you're 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 um, clean. Like just picking up a barbell, how you perform a clean. That's a signature style of you. I haven't seen anybody else do it that way. You were the first I ever saw. And I'm curious, uh, one, if that resonates as I say that, that that you having to find your signature styles and being creative. You said creating your lane, basically. Um, if that has been something that has uh, impacted you and, and the way that you understand uh, movement, athleticism, uh, life in general. And, and, um, two, what does the creative process look like for you? How do you create new movements? How do you, how do you do that? Yeah. So it's actually really interesting. So again, I I can't say that I've done all of this alone. Obviously we know that, uh, I had a lot of back and forth conversation with our friend Angel and Stouty and that whole group of individuals but I was number one the only female in our in our group at the time and number two I was the only one that was physically born with a cognitive uh, neurological impair I shouldn't say cognitive but more neurological impairment where the messages from my brain to the rest of my body were not necessarily communicating very fast right and so your question as to how do you come up with those things in process was quite honestly trial and error. I remember having a very vivid dream um, because when I first started CrossFit, I was doing CrossFit solely on my knees, Um, like lifting barbells and doing that kind of stuff from my knees because I didn't want to damage my power chair at the time. I didn't use a manual chair. I didn't want to damage the power chair. They're very expensive. So I got out of my chair and would do it on my knees and created this base of movement. Now, my vivid dream was me literally on my knees um, using a PVC pipe and just doing a snatch overhead. And I went into the gym um, the next day and I said, man, I got to I got to try this. Like I'd never tried it before. I didn't know if it would work. And I said, if it doesn't work, like I'll just fall flat on my face. And I remember I was uh, wearing like a hot pink shirt, black shorts, and I had this bright blue mat under me. And we were using the PVC pipe and I had created this like triangle base with my knees. So um, 
my knees were a little bit further apart, but my hips felt really good. And I was like, man, this feels crazy, like to be kneeling for that long. And I just started with a PVC pipe and I literally tried to just mimic that pattern. It wasn't perfect, but it worked. And I was like, man, if I could do that with a snatch, for those that know snatch, it's a wider grip. I could bring my grip in and go about hip, you know, right outside my hips. And I could do the same thing with a clean. So then I just started like messing around. And I was like, if I could do this with a PVC pipe, could I do this with a 15 pump bar? And that took re- that took a lot of core, a lot of time just in general. And I did that for quite a while, for probably three years, you know, building up my weights and stuff like that. And then I started really getting involved with the other guys and they would, they were all either paralyzed or had had an accident and had put themselves in as chair users. So I was still the only one that was mobile in that way on my feet. And I remember them being like, Steph, get in your chair and like, don't be afraid because the backrest of your chair will keep you upright so you can lift heavier. And as soon as I heard the words that I could lift heavier, I was done. Like, I I was like, okay, like, I'm going to do this, right? And I think it's just literal trial and error, trial and error. I remember um, being with Jason Kalipa, who is a friend of ours. I remember being with him and trying to learn to rope climb. And it was that moment where he, as the teacher, allowed me to be the teacher because he'd never worked with somebody like me before. So he couldn't understand why my legs weren't allowing me to go up the rope, right? So like I was in full extension, full spasm, and my legs just wouldn't move. And he was like, oh, well, if we bend your legs, and I'm like, dude, you don't understand. Like if you bend my legs, I'm just going to shoot shoot backwards. I'm not going to shoot up, <laughs> right? And so it's it was this this thing of just having people say, okay, let's try it. And if it doesn't work, we'll try something else, you know? And this idea of chasing that yes is something that I talk about in the book because people can say no a million times, but what happens when that one person says yes? They give you the opportunity to then chase what that outcome is going to be, right? If you didn't give me the opportunity to work with you, I would have never learned from you and vice versa, right? So at the end of the day, like, that's how I created my style of fitness was just freaking trying stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, you, you have created uh, many styles and uh, very powerful ones. And uh, every time, you know, you share them, I'm like, wow, <laughs> it's pretty impressive. And like that woman was saying, also... Uh, brave of you to showcase that level of vulnerability. Uh, yeah, courageous to say the least, because you're really exposing the uh, edge of your abilities. And when you expose the edge of your abilities, it's like you're walking life on this like razor thin line. You could go either way. You can be triumphant or you can, yeah, completely... Uh, fail or end up in a hole that may feel like a ditch. Uh, but you have always been able to walk that very fine line of vulnerability. And I, I, I just assume that it's uh, part of your, your nature and the environment that you've grown up in. 
and you share a lot about this in in your book. Um, but I'm curious, um, how much of your uh, current uh, view of the world is consciously shaped from within you, and how much is shaped from uh, outside of you? Meaning, at this moment, for example, uh, I, I assume like. Uh, you've always had, you have some goals, you have some aspirations, you're doing some things and you're kind of moving towards those, those goals. But how much of that is also influenced by those who seek you out for support and those who seek you out? What, what has a, a, a common theme or pattern been in terms of what they, what you see them need? What is it that they're seeking, uh, from you? That's a really good question. Um, Number one, I always like to let people know that just because I, you know, give off this sense of strength and and um, success doesn't necessarily mean that success has happened either overnight or that I don't personally myself struggle still with my mental health, right? So I always make that very clear that um, just because you see the highlight reel of social media, that there are sides to me, that I am human, that I am, you know, I'm someone who feels and loves and um, just emotes very deeply, right? And so when people seek things from me, they need to know, uh, you know, who they're seeking from. Most, uh, most recently, I've gotten a lot of parents that have young children with cerebral palsy or young children that have gone through um, cancer and going through that situation. Um, and I do, I think part of me is trying to heal the inner child within me. Um, I did not have the easiest of um, what you call adolescent years um, from teenage years to, to being about 24, 25 years old. And at 33 has really been, 32, 33 has really been that time where I'm looking within myself and trying to heal those pieces from within me. Um, what I have been through does not dictate how um, the rest of my life is going to go. And I think that that was something that was really important for me to understand and something that I'm still working through, you know, and understanding that like parts of parts of who you are as a child will always be be part of you I guess when they say you know you're young at heart or the inner child within you but that doesn't mean you can't be healed from it um and I will say so I got to spend um a week in New Jersey a couple weeks ago I got to spend a week in New Jersey with that family that I was talking about this little girl her name is Colby She's five years old, and I met her mom simply through social media, and her and her father ended up coming out to um, Arizona to specifically meet me before I was to go to meet Colby. And um, I feel very lucky because the um, CBS Mornings captured our meeting and is creating like a like an episode of our relationship together. But spending the five days with that little girl and just feeling so much love and feeling like this little girl was watching every move that I made. She wanted to do everything that I did. 
She wanted to try things that she'd never tried before. That's where I truly felt like I was really making a difference. And what's fascinating is that I'd never allowed myself to do that before. I was always trying to prove something to somebody else, right? I was always trying to prove, like let's say take CrossFit for example. I was trying to prove to the CrossFit Incorporation that we were good enough to compete. Well, when that change wasn't happening and it's still not really happening to the level that I thought it would, it gets exhausting. And at what point do you feel like you're just talking to talk, right? And so at some point, you just got to move on and allow yourself to try something else. And I was so afraid of my own, of accepting myself that I didn't want to accept anybody else that was like me. But can you imagine if I never did that? I would have never met that little girl and started to heal myself at the same time while teaching her that she can do anything in her life, right? And so I think that having this idea of just accepting who you are and understanding that the world is not built for us, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we can't build our own world around us, right? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's really powerful stuff. Steph, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm curious, what's the conversation like with the parents? I mean, as a parent myself, as a grandparent now, I love I, I love your grandparents so much. He's my favorite. He's, um, he's pretty cute. Yeah, what's what's the conversation like? I mean, I I know that I I spend a lot of time worrying. I'm always concerned uh, about things, and I'm trying to get ahead, but. For parents who have children with CP, what are they thinking about? What What is it that's uh, coming up for them and, and how are you supporting them? Well, so a lot of it is really cool because you get to watch the parents that are now my age, right? And the, the girl is five years old. She has a, a sibling that is able-bodied and um, she was born a twin who unfortunately lost her brother. And so she has this complex world around her where she, again she's trying to set her own path while also trying to fit into the world around her so one of the things that we talk about um in our conversations is just like um navigating real life experiences i remember i got a phone call a couple weeks ago and um her mom had called me and said you know something happened today for the first time And Colby said she didn't like people always staring at her. And so, and but she didn't know as her mom, like, what was the right thing to say or or how do you handle that? And so coming from the perspective of somebody who has been there, somebody who experiences it from the the daily experience, we sat down and, um, you know, I told her immediately, like, if she feels like she wants to FaceTime me and call me, Let's do it. And we sat down, the three of us, and we talked about her big girl feelings, right? Remember, she's five, so you have to kind of meet her at her level. But we talked about what it was going to be like for the world to always be looking at you and saying, Colby, like, this is this is going to happen quite often. And if you don't like it happening, you need to be able to vocalize, you know, that you don't like it. 
You can be nice about it, but it's okay if you say you don't like it, right? And so having her understand that the world is, again, it's not built for us. And I think, too, what's so incredible about her parents is that they don't necessarily talk to her like she is five. And I feel what's really interesting when you're born with a disability and you live this life, you have to grow up fast because you you have this world around you that's constantly making you feel less than, right? So when you grow up fast and you start protecting yourself, those are the kinds of things that are real life. You can't shield them from everything, right? And so we have real life conversations about, hey, what's it going to look like when she goes to a mainstream school, high school, what's it going to look like? Or what did it feel like for you? Now, I never stand in the way as a parent. I will never tell them how to parent their children or anything like that. I feel like with this relationship, it's very special because they give me the opportunity to help her grow as an individual. But I would never sit here and say that they're parenting wrong or style is wrong. We just talk about experience, right? And you can learn a lot of things from doctors and books and all kinds of things, but the best teacher is literal life experience, right? Like I bet you your daughter would tell you she had a second child. She might do something a little different or might not be as worried about the first as she was with her first child because you don't know what to expect, right? You can read all the books in the world. But what do you do when something happens that you didn't expect? What did you learn from that experience? So I think when I'm able to have those connections with those parents, number one, allow them to take a deep breath and say, listen, your life is, her, her, her life or his life is going to be different. But that doesn't mean that it is over, right? And again, CP is a whole spectrum of, individuals and how it affects people differently. But if I'm the first person you've ever met with cerebral palsy, I'm pretty excited about that because at least I'll be able to help set the tone of what people think we are able to accomplish. Hmm. Yeah, beautifully said. Uh, Steph, what gets you out of bed these days? What are you excited about? Um... I'm really proud of myself and I think that that gets me excited is having pride in what I'm doing again and knowing that what I do on a daily basis is not only affecting me but it's affecting the world around me in such a more positive way. I get frustrated sometimes just like anybody else thinking like you're not doing enough or I need to be doing more. And then sometimes I have to sit back and realize that what I have created over the last three years of my life is this space where so many people feel empowered to be themselves and create better versions of themselves. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I I like the moments when I feel proud of myself, but they're they're kind of far apart at times because you get so caught up in, like you said, the having to be somebody, having to do more and achieve and be this, like live up to your own uh, strange expectations that you create in your mind. And that's a very challenging thing to do. What what does it feel like to be proud of oneself? 
Can you describe Excuse that? Me. Um, I think it just feels good, man. It feels like I am finally, for the first time, allowing Steph to be Steph. And yes, like, Steph the Hammer is this persona that was created off of achievement, right? But who is Steph Roach? And, like, it's okay to to not be the person behind that blue check mark on social media, right? It's okay to want to, like, not be um, the first at everything or just, you know, just to, just to exist with a, a purpose. And, you know, it's taken me quite a long time to get to this headspace where I feel like I am doing enough. I, you know, do I wish that my business was booming more? Sure, I do. But do I understand that, you know, I'm affecting hundreds, if not thousands of people on a daily basis? Yeah. And the the success will come. But at the end of the day, what is success, right? Is like, do we just define success through monetary value? Do we define success through having a successful conversation? Like, I, I don't know. I think we've, we've grown up in this world where success truly is just like financial freedom. But like, are you truly happy only by finances? Are you, are you truly only happy in that sense? I'm not really sure. So I think, you know, I will always be wanting to achieve more because I'm just, I think that's part of my nature, but I don't know. It just feels really good to be proud of yourself for once. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. It feels amazing. Uh, talk to me about your business. What, what do you do in your business? How is it going? Who do you serve? What does it look like? It's so awesome. So um, my new business is called Staying Driven LLC. So the tagline to um, my original brick and mortar gym was stay driven. And so at the time when, you know, the pandemic forced us to close our doors, we thought we were closing our doors for two, three weeks. So we had, you know, made a, a joke that we were staying driven at home, you know, but little did we know those three weeks turned into three months. And then we realized like, oh man, we got to close this business down. And so we closed Hammer Driven Fitness and we stuck with the staying driven platform. And instead of having people um, law or come into a physical space, we started using Zoom and had people log in for workouts. And they were, um, originally we had our members paying $135 for our brick and mortar space. Well, my husband and I quickly realized that we had no overhead at this point and there was no point in having to charge somebody $135 to do fitness if we didn't really need, you know, that price point to be able to exist. So I remember Ty saying, we're going to do a lot for a little and we're going to help as many people as we can. And so initially I kept staying driven open just so that I could keep my initial members coming and giving them something to do. And then I started realizing that so many different people were logging in from all over the world. And again, at this time we were keeping everything free. 
I had some people logging in from Australia. I had people logging in from Canada. <laughs> I had people all over the place. And I was like, oh man, this is really cool. Well, when we decided to pick up our lives from North Carolina, we moved across the country to Arizona. We turned it into a real business. And um, for a monthly membership, we have our athletes pay $20 a month. They come to four classes a day, or they can choose from four classes a day. We host 30 different classes a week because I not only do individual memberships, but I also do corporate memberships as well. And I'd say 95% of my population is now adaptive, which I never would have thought of in, in my life. And we use, I would say, we use CrossFit methodology as the baseline and foundation of what I know because obviously I've spent the last 12 years kind of in in that sense of fitness, but it's really just about functional movement. And when you hear somebody that's either quadriplegic, paraplegic, um, tell you that they have better core stability, that they're able to play with their kids better, they're able to pick up their laundry baskets easier. Like those things are what give me such a sense of purpose and realizing that, you know, this really worked out. And uh, it's not necessarily, um, you know, this idea of four walls and a whiteboard doesn't necessarily make a community, right? And I think that that was a really big realization where we could take that whiteboard and we can give you that same experience virtually. And I'm really proud to say that we're almost three years old now and we've been growing ever since. So it's pretty cool. Unbelievable. That is so cool. Tell me uh, about your your clients and the people that show up for your classes. Um, what are they uh, experiencing in terms of their progress? What have, what have their kind of uh, moments, like breakthrough moments been? You, you just uh, said that, oh, I have more core strength. But is there anything uh, that that comes to mind that it's kind of like, yeah, this is why we keep this this project going forward, and this is really the impact that we're making beyond just them becoming physically fit. What, yeah, what goes beyond just their physical fitness? So I think it's really interesting to think about what we were. Let's circle back to earlier when you had asked about are there things that we take for granted. Um, and I would say if you were sitting on the floor with your grandson and he asked you to stand up, you could stand up and sit on the couch, no issue, no question, probably in three seconds. Well, uh, the majority of my clientele are wheelchair users. Um, majority of my clientele are either spinal cord injury or have some sort of neuro uh, neurological condition that they're dealing with. And floor to floor to chair transfers or chair to couch transfers, chair to bed transfers can be very difficult. Um, and so I've heard a few stories of people saying, "Hey, you know, I'm I've been able to get myself back in my chair for the first time um, in ten years. I've been able to get myself back in my chair for the first time ever by myself." Um, but I think the greatest story that sticks out to me is a gentleman by the name of Kimo. He is a, uh, a paraplegic, but he lays down when I met him. He was laying down in a bed. I met him three years ago, and he was doing 
fitness from his bed. We moved him as much as we could possibly, had him doing like cross punches, shoulder to overhead, just moving his body. Um, and he hadn't gotten out of bed in a long time. And it was about a year ago that Kimo started sitting up in his power chair and doing fitness with us. And I said to myself and I said to Ty, I said, that's why we're doing this, right? It's anybody can join our classes. You can be able-bodied. You can be 70 years old. You can be, you know, five years old. Doesn't matter to me. As long as you want to functionally move your body and make your life better, that's all that I care about. Right. And so having those stories, yes, they are feel good stories, but they also give the business more purpose. They give the the model more drive to want to be better. You know, one of our oldest athletes is about to turn 80 years old next week. She's been in a chair or using a chair for 13 years. She got hurt 13 years ago. And imagine her whole life. And then getting her whole life flipped upside down and now meeting an entire community of people that truly understand what she's going through. She told me that she fired a physical therapist because we were doing more for her than the physical therapist was doing with her. And I would never want anyone to lose their job or get fired, but to know that, you know, me, the person that is not a trained physical therapist, but who has worked very hard at their craft, is allowing somebody to move at their own pace, but creating an opportunity for them to push themselves more that they want to then, you know, let the professional in that sense go. And it was kind of like this moment of like, I felt bad for the, the physical therapist, but I was also really proud of the athlete for standing up for themselves and saying, hey, I'm doing so much in this one hour time span every single day or three times a week or however many times they come to realizing like they don't necessarily need to rely on that other resource and that was a pretty like outstanding moment for me being like I would never want to do that to somebody or, or tell them to push someone away but to know that we were doing that much work for that woman makes me really really proud yeah no wonder you're proud I was getting pretty emotional there as you were sharing this um, idea of just being able to do what seems simple to an able body, like getting into a chair, into a bed, in and out of the shower, into a car, out of the car, on the yeah. ground, off the ground. Uh, and and we we uh, you and I have worked on this, uh, and I, I I realized how important this was when I first met Stouty a long time ago in Toronto, uh, teaching a seminar and him being in attendance, and and the core uh, movement practice of of my seminar being uh, yeah, doing yeah. a burpee. Right, getting on and off yeah. the ground. It, it, so it, I, you brought me down memory lane, and and when you related it to my my grandson, something that came up um, for me is that uh, ever since he came into our our lives, he's a an extremely active kid, and he's very talented. He just has this, yeah, just the knack for movement. He's he's an athlete uh, at, at the ripe age of two. He's turning two tomorrow. 
And Happy birthday. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And and I realized <laughs> I don't want to keep up with him. I want to belong to his world. Yeah. And and something that you're doing and you've you've always done, but you're you're really doing now is you're you're assisting people in continuing to belong to this world in a way that's meaningful. And I and I think that is so important and powerful and such a gift uh, that I'm just grateful to know that you exist and you're doing things like this out there. Um, the other thing that came up was this idea of being self-taught. And um, this is not a challenge because I, I, I'm in the same boat, so I don't want to really be challenged on it either. But you're really self-taught. How do you... Yeah. How do you... Uh, or, or do you ever experience um, imposter syndrome or do you feel like, oh, like I do I have the credentials to be uh, an authority or a subject matter expert in this? And and do you ever do you ever question that? And if you do, how do you process it? And if you don't, why not? Um, I think there's <laughs> parts of me. I think there's parts of me that don't, um, if I'm being completely honest, because I've been through the trial and error period where I failed so hard and fell on my face so hard that I almost didn't believe in myself. You know, one of the stories I write in my book about is failing my level one certificate. And, you know, CrossFit, again, um, in some people's eyes, the, the, the credential or whatever, can, they can think whatever they want about it. But I had worked so hard for that and, and to fail was literally like the worst feeling on planet earth because I felt like, oh man, like, do I belong here? Right. And I think it's one story that I have in my book where I taught, um, this really tall gentleman to do double unders. And, um, for those that don't know, double unders is, is a jump rope, um, movement where you have to get the rope to pass your feet twice before you land on the ground. And that's something I'll physically never do in my life ever in my dreams. <laughs> like, this is not a movement that I would ever complete. And so I remember that moment so specifically where it happened and it was successful. And I was able to take somebody and have them do something that I would never physically be able to do in my life. And it worked. And it might not have looked like the textbook way of teaching somebody how to do the movement but it had worked for me and that's when I learned that regurgitating information that you either hear from somebody from a professional or you read from a book doesn't always work right and you have to take that information it's valuable information but turn it into and communicate it in a way that makes sense and is original to your own self so I think that, do I have imposter syndrome? Not really. Do I need, do I often feel like I need to refresh or sharpen my skills? Of course. I don't have the, the greatest of, um, physicality knowledge, like, uh, muscle knowledge. Like I, I would definitely need to, um, like if you ask me certain parts of the body, I couldn't break down each muscle or anything like that, but I know that about myself. Like if somebody were to come to me and say, Hey, I need to clean up my eating. I could give them the basics 
because I, I've been around the basics my whole life, but I would be the first to tell you, I'm not a registered dietitian. I could refer you to somebody, but this is what I can help you with. So I do feel like I belong, but that's because I created my own belonging, if that makes sense. 100%. So I, yeah, I, I don't think, I think it would be different if, like, let's say you and I were both teachers and, and, and uh, we were both gymnastics specialists. We were doing the exact same thing for the exact same group of people, but you were Carl Paoli and I was just Steph. I think to me, that's where the imposter syndrome could be created. But because I was so individualized, I don't think that I could necessarily, um, in the sense of being a coach, I think it's very unique. Now, when it comes to imposter syndrome on social media, that's completely different because I'm like, you know, there's a lot of people with CP that are women that are putting themselves out there. And I'm like, what am I doing here with, you know, my 23,000 followers when somebody has 300,000, you know? So I think that's a different thing, but I think because it was so individualized that I kind of owned that. And I'm really proud of that. Yeah, there's no traffic in your own lane, which is awesome. And 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 the reason I was asking this is because uh, if somebody um, basically stops going to their physical therapist because they're getting more results with you, who is uh, is not a, a technically trained uh, person who is maybe equipped to deal with uh, specific things that maybe a physical therapist would have the uh, competence to do. I, I, I just wonder how that kind of sits with you. And you, you, you explained it really well here. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, know, also, you were able to say that. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but you also, no, have no, to please. Under, you also have to understand too, that sometimes, and people don't want to hear this, sometimes medical, medical professionals, physical therapists, and I can say this because I've been there, physical therapists, occupational therapists, this isn't for all physical therapists, but some, will only do the bare minimum because they don't want to hurt you or they don't want to push you to a place that, you know, they're scared to push someone. And I think that's what sets me apart is I always tell my athletes, if it's not hurting you, I would never want to create a space of pain, but I will do things to challenge you. So as long as you're communicating with me that you feel safe, and that you don't feel any pain, don't tell me that you can't do 20 reps. Don't tell me that you can't get on the floor and get yourself back up because I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to sit here until you finish doing. And I think that that's maybe what sets me apart and why I feel okay. Not necessarily taking that person's business, but I feel okay with her telling me, hey, I just want to let you know, like I fired my PT. Because, like, I am, I, I am doing way more, and the staff that works with me is doing way more than any of those medical professionals will do because they're scared of the liability aspect. Now, I'm not saying that I don't take responsibility and we have, you know, liability and things like that, but at the end of the day, you can't be afraid to treat somebody like a human. And sometimes we're just treated like patients instead of uh -huh. humans yep 
And, you know, this goes back to the first time we actually physically worked together. Something that you said to me was, Carl, don't be scared. You can't hurt me. Yeah, you can't break me. Yeah, you (laughs) basically can't break me. And I'm not going to allow you because I'm so aware of what my body can and cannot do or what hurts or what doesn't hurt that I'm going to tell you. You really became uh, somebody that allowed me to not be scared of working with something that uh, wasn't familiar to me. And this kind of goes back to when you first hugged me when we first met. It's like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> this woman is strong. Like, that was, like a, that was a bear hug, yeah. you know? And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I can't hurt Steph, but she, she's, she's in control. And I think that's also very empowering to know that, um, yeah, we can, we can help people tap into their intuition by connecting with their bodies and then uh, allowing for a guide like yourself that is experienced not only in years and uh, different contexts and uh, domains when it comes to the physical movement, but also in the inner game, the emotional fitness side of things. And there, you know, what I always say is that accessing uh, performance based by feel where when it feels right in your head, there's some logic in your heart where there's some passion and in your body, your gut, that then you'll be trending in the right direction. And you, you've you always seemed to do that uh, very naturally and very organically. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited for the people that you work with. And I'm excited well, to be a witness of I, that because yeah, I'm you learning. Can come in, you can come into class anytime you want to. And I think it, it's always really cool to have outsiders come in and be like, what is this? And then you realize as soon as three, two, one happens, they're all just people moving. They're all athletes. I don't, I don't talk to my community as clients. I don't call them clients. They're all my athletes. Every single one of them has an understanding that they are athletic. Whether you're moving with the two cans of soup or you're moving with 20-pound dumbbells, I don't give a shit. Like, as long as you're moving, that's all that I care about, right? And I think, too, like you had said earlier, you kind of stopped and thanked me. I want you to understand that having a conversation with you opens up my brain in a way where I'm like, anytime that I see you on a live or I see you talking just about life in the in the way that you do is so accepting, right? And it's not necessarily just accepting of yourself but it's accepting of the world around you and that not everything is perfect you know i remember where in 2020 early 2021 you guys were struggling with some things and trying to figure out where you were moving and what you were doing and you're having this this new baby come into your life and just understanding and accepting that like it's okay to accept the world around you and it's also okay to change the world around you we don't we aren't necessarily tied to the same people that we were tied to 10 12 years ago and that's okay doesn't mean that we don't care about them any less or that we devalue what we did in the past but i think that that's part of the part of the growth process right and you've been a very steady component of like Steph, i still believe in what you do and i still want to support you in any direction that you go you know and and so i just want to say thank you to you for allowing me that opportunity to just 
still be that friend, right? And be that person because a lot of the times when you're not in the space of somebody else, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But at the end of the day, like we have never, it could be, you know, six months that we haven't physically spoken, but we both know that we're still available for one another, right? And I think more people need that in in life in general because we live in such a, you know, a society where it's like normal to either suffer alone or suffer in silence. Nobody has to do that, right? And even if you're not suffering and you want to celebrate, you don't have to celebrate alone. You don't have to celebrate in silence. And I think having somebody like you that allows for that conversation is just really special. So thank you. <laughs> wow. All right. I, I guess we can end it there. <laughs> Steph, thank you. Um, I appreciate it. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just my pleasure and, and it's a gift. So, so thank you for, for including me in your process and your message here, uh, I think feels like it's it's a good segue into bringing this uh, to a soft landing, and my my last question is what's what's uh, what's next for you, and and how can we support you? Well, that's very nice. Everybody everybody asks what's next, and quite honestly, I'm just working in, on building this business, making it um, where more people are able to see it, more people are able to experience it, and that it's not necessarily this um, one-off type thing. Yeah, I want people to see that fitness for everybody is normal, and um, our tagline for our business is fitness with you in mind, and I literally want people to realize that if they want to move their body, like they are able to. They don't necessarily have to join staying driven, but just accepting themselves and moving their body is the best way that you can thank yourself. Um, and so I think just in the next year or two, I would love to be able to grow this beyond just fitness classes. Um, I think accessing the mental side of things too is also really, really important, especially for those that have acquired a physical disability um, or their life is just drastically changing. Um, and so those are going to be kind of the next things coming up. But if people want to support, whether it's just engaging uh, online or checking out the website, they're more than welcome to do that. Mm -hmm. Very cool. You know what I love about that stuff is that sometimes when I ask what's next, uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, they they come up with some like vanity goal or some something that is. Uh, is going to sound really nice. I, I just really appreciate that what's next is this, is, is being where yeah. you are, doing what you're doing and continuing to nurture. Um, yeah, the, the not only the work that you're doing, but the process that you're going through. Uh, so that that to me is inspiring. And it's a reminder for me too, to just, uh, yes, yeah, stay, stay the path and stay uh, driven. Uh, Steph, Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been been awesome getting to catch up with you here. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for having me. I love you very much. And I hope everyone enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, I hope so too. Love you. And we'll we'll uh, have to do a, a little sequel in, in the future. That one sounds good. All right. This is the Freestyle Way. Freestyle Way.